Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So we've made it through yet another week of 2020, a somewhat shortened week, which I hope everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving, however you ended up celebrating it. Whether you did end up going out of town, or you went over to a friend's house, or you did Zoom Thanksgiving, whatever you did, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you at least at any rate, enjoyed having a little bit of extra time off if you are here in the States. If you're not in the States, then none of this applies to you. But yeah, like I said, even though this was a somewhat abbreviated week, uh, definitely did not lack for crazy. Um, lots of court decisions, lots of lots of court stuff to talk about this week. But I will go ahead and start where I have been starting since March, and that is with the unemployment numbers. Uh, for the week ending on the 21st, we had 778,000 New unemployment claims filed. Obviously, this is starting to trend back up. It was trending down there for a couple of weeks, and now it seems to be ticking back up, which is not a good sign. And another not good sign that I saw when I was out and about today, um, this is normally the time of year where retail stores start adjusting their hours for the holiday season, and usually they start expanding their hours Um, I've seen a couple of stores that are actually retracting their hours. They're actually opening up later and closing earlier, which is not a good sign. (laughs) Not a good sign at all going into the holiday season that retail stores are not expanding their hours as they normally do. And like I said, I saw a couple of, of them actually retract hours, which means They are not expecting the foot traffic. They are not expecting the in-store sales that would normally be coming during the holidays to the point where they are seemingly cutting back on hours, which obviously trims back on their expenses because then you don't have to pay employees, you know, all that good stuff. But yeah, that's not good. Um, I'm not entirely sure if anybody did Black Friday this year. I mean, I never do Black Friday. I am not a morning person, if it does not involve money or fun, exciting travel, your girl does not get out of the bed early. So (laughs) I have never been a big Black Friday fan. Um, I know a lot of places did cancel Black Friday this year just because, I mean, you can't really do like a social distance Black Friday because the whole point is everybody's in like a mad rush to get into the store and like punch people in the face over TVs. I've never understood the concept. Like, I, I'm 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 a Cyber Monday person. I do most of my shopping online anyway. All the same deals are online, and then you don't have to go to the store. Like it's it's I don't I, I've never been a fan. But anyway, um, I know a lot of online retailers started their sort of quote unquote Black Friday deals back on Monday, and they're extending them through to probably about Tuesday of this upcoming week. So yeah, it, it seems like retailers are preparing for more of an online holiday shopping season than an in-person shopping season and are adjusting accordingly. What that is going to mean ultimately for how this pans out financially for retailers, I'm not entirely sure. It's it, it's not a very good sign that we're really kind of paring down for in-person retail and I know a lot of states are starting to go back into more of a lockdown restriction mode, which obviously that is going to curtail in-person shopping because, I mean, clearly, like, the department store is not really an essential store. It kind of is, but it isn't. And, 
yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. And I think a lot of people are going to kind of make this the year that they permanently make that switch to online Christmas shopping. Like, like I said, I've been doing that for years. I think a lot of people are going to finally like make that switch permanent this year. So yeah, we, we may be seeing a bit of a reorganization of how the retail sector works. And obviously that is going to have impacts on the commercial real estate investment sector and how all that is going to work out in 2021 remains to be seen. Obviously, all of this is also dependent on vaccines and when the vaccine hits the market and how comfortable people are getting the vaccine, how comfortable people are resuming what was normal life after they're vaccinated. Yeah, there's there's a lot that still remains to be seen about how all this is going to pan out. But right now, it's not looking so good. So fingers crossed that, I mean, hopefully the, the unemployment numbers stop nosediving because this is this is bad this is bad it's i don't think anybody really thought that at this point i mean i've been tracking these numbers obviously since march when even before lockdowns started officially happening like government mandated lockdowns people started pulling out of the economy people stopped going out people stopped going to in person dining people stopped doing in person retail the, the slowdown happened before the lockdowns, and obviously there's a whole argument to be made there that if the lockdowns didn't happen, if the economic slowdown would still happen, I mean, obviously, I think the answer is yes. How much lockdowns impacted it, we will never know because you can't really prove the unknowable. So that will be a debate that rages on probably for forever. I mean, we're still debating the 2008 financial crash, so I'm sure we'll be debating the 2020 financial crash probably still in 2030, in 2035. <laughs> but yeah, there's just, uh, there's a lot, a lot going on and none of it seems very positive right now. So uh, hopefully next year will be better. And hopefully, especially with the vaccines coming out, and I know that's going to be a whole nother ball of wax. I've talked about that. But hopefully with people getting the vaccine, people becoming more comfortable going back out in the public because there's still people that just don't want to do it. And okay, I, I get it. That's fine. That's your personal decision of what you are personally comfortable with. And there are people that just aren't going to be comfortable going back into public spaces without vaccines or some much, 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 much heightened level of herd immunity than we have right now. So yeah, we still got a little bit of ways to go before we get out of the economic woods. But Moving on to the rest of the the absolute crazy from this past week, um, in fitting fashion for 2020, of course, as soon as I got done recording last week's weekly roundup, um, news came out from the Trump campaign that Sidney Powell, the one of the the, the crazy pants people, um, they put official distance between her and the Trump campaign. Um, there's been a bit of back and forth as to what exactly her role was in the the Trump campaign legal team. Um, they had touted her. I mean, no doubt they they named her in the the legal strike force elite group of people. But then there's some question of whether she was actually getting paid by the Trump campaign. Whether it's anyway, it's stupid. It doesn't matter. They were officially promoting her. They they had her on at the stupid Four Seasons landscaping press conference, and apparently, the things that she was spouting were so freaking crazy 
that they had to officially put distance between her and the Trump legal team. However, that has not stopped Sidney Powell from her Kraken lawsuit filing thingamajig, which, holy shit, this is nuts. It's over 100 pages of just unsubstantiated nonsense and I mean, bringing up stuff that's already been litigated, trying to pull back in, like all the affidavits that have basically already been dismissed as hearsay. It's just, it's it's nuts. But the, the crux of it is she's trying to make the argument that the Dominion voting machines could have been tampered with. I say could have been because there is no evidence presented anywhere in all of these pages and all of these words, which by the way, nobody bothered to like, edit or spell check or make sure was formatted correctly. Like there's misspellings in the fucking header, the header of the lawsuit. Like they misspelled district in some bizarre way that I don't even know how you would mash the keys on the keyboard to get the spelling of district. And like nobody spell checked it and it's just there. And it's just, oh my God, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But she's alleging that there could have been voter fraud or or voter tampering with the Dominion machines, but there's no proof. And <laughs> two, two, two absolute crazy things about this lawsuit, one of which is the the first plaintiff on the, the lawsuit. Oh my God. Um, Yeah, the first plaintiff, and this is also revolving around the Georgia elections, which... Oh my God, please stay the fuck out of my state. Like we've gone through this so many times. If you don't know how the voting machines work in Georgia is it's kind of like a weird hybrid system where you go in and yeah, you have the touch screen and you do all that, but then it prints out a paper ballot and you look at the paper ballot, you double check it, you make sure it says what it is you want it to say, and then you go put it in the ballot box. And when we did the hand recount in Georgia, the ballots, the, the results from the actual machines and the paper ballots matched up perfectly. So I, I I don't know what more people want out of this. I mean, we did the recount. We did the hand recount. Everything matched up. Everything's legit. I don't even understand the arguments that are being made at this point. But the first plaintiff is one C.J. Pearson. Yeah, that C.J. Pearson. You know, the young conservative black man that is supposed to just be the future of conservatism? Yep, first plaintiff on the Crazy Pants lawsuit, which I, I know I've discussed this before, and I know I, I, I still feel like it's kind of crass to look at things in a certain way, but when you are in this space and you are somebody who is famous online and somebody who has a certain reputation to uphold... um. <laughs> it's kind of wild to me how many people have just decided to shred whatever credibility they have in order to follow this grift to the bitter end. Like, I plan on still doing all this once Trump is gone. I don't know what people who are still throwing in their whole lot with Trump are planning to do once he's gone. I, ooh, I don't know. But yeah. There's that. And um, Sidney Powell's big 
Dominion voter machine <laughs> expert is Ron Watkins. Um, Ron Watkins was the administrator for Aitken, Aitken, which was 8chan, which is where the QAnon conspiracy started. And there is some rumor that Watkins' father, John Watkins, who actually owns the board, is actually Q. So yeah, this guy is kind of deep in the QAnon community. And what he did, though, here's what he did. All he did was read the fucking manual for Dominion Voter Machine and come up with theories of ways that the machine could be hacked, theoretically. Again, no proof that any of this happened. Just theories of how it could possibly happen. Which, I mean, I can watch Ocean's Eleven and come up with theories of how I would rob a casino, but that doesn't mean I robbed the casino. <laughs> it's just like, um, I can't with this anymore. Like, this has just gotten... This has gone on long enough. Like, this has just gotten completely and utterly foolish at this point. But there are still millions of people who want to believe in this. And actually, funny little side story that doesn't have anything to do with the Powell lawsuit. But because of the Senate races here in Georgia, um, Rona McDaniels was in Cobb County yesterday hosting a press conference, which devolved into a bizarre Q&A because uh, people in the crowd would not stop screaming questions at her revolving around the Powell lawsuit, or at least the allegations in the Powell lawsuit about the Dominion fraud and about voter fraud and why should they participate in the Georgia Senate races because, you know, we can't trust the elections and we can't trust the voter machines, so why should we even participate? And I'm just like, well, guess what, guys? You did it to yourselves. Round of applause to the GOP for turning their base into a bunch of conspiracy nuts. Who? And this is real. This is not Poe. I've seen people actually suggest this with a straight face that Republicans should boycott the Georgia Senate races because Brian Kemp and Brad Raffelsberger, I will never get used to pronouncing that man's name, are not being sufficiently supportive enough of Donald Trump in his efforts to, I'm not entirely sure, do what in Georgia? I mean, are we supposed to be overturning the election results? I, I, I that that's, that's basically where we're at right now. And I'm just like, wait a minute, you smooth brain motherfuckers. You are going to throw a Senate race, two Senate races, just so that you can hold on to this narrative that you got cheated out of the election. <sighs> There's a part of me that, if I was short-sighted and petty, would be like, you know what? Screw it. I hope the Democrats take the Senate back. But because I'm not short-sighted and petty, and I understand what's at stake here, and while I do not think that David Perdue or Kelly Loeffler should be anywhere near the Senate... <laughs> it's such a shit situation here in Georgia. <laughs> Feel bad for me, damn it. But yeah, it's... It, <sighs> the alternative's not any better? Yeah, just really, really shitty options here in Georgia right now. <laughs> and all you can do is laugh. It's like, if uh, of all, all the senators you had to choose from, it had to be these two, like, 
not even someone you could like marginally get behind, but Purdue and Loeffler. Like, God damn it. Anyway, yeah. So there is actually a campaign for people to either boycott altogether or to write in Trump's name, which I don't... I, I still think that my prediction will hold that the seats will be split. It'll go one Democrat, one Republican, but that there are Republicans who want to throw this race in order to continue being some kind of aggrieved minority instead of holding on to any actual power blows my mind. Blows my mind. Like, I don't understand if people think this is like some kind of game or if there's just certain parts of the Republican Party that are going full collapsitarian. I don't know. It's a stupid fucking plan. Don't do that. Uh, but yeah, that is that that is what is going on with Sidney Powell and her lawsuit. Um, some good news that did happen on Monday, Emily Murphy, the head of the GSA, did finally certify the vote counts and did finally admit that Joe Biden is the president-elect and that the transition period can now officially begin. He can have access to those transition funds. He can start receiving the confidential briefings. So the transition is going on despite what Trump or his legal team or any of his supporters want to say or do, the transition is happening. Like we are going to have a President Biden on January 20th. Yeah. I, just, uh, I I I don't I, I'm I'm at a loss at this point. Like I did not think this would go on for this long, but there are people that are still like enabling this shit. And I wrote for my Substack, which again, if you haven't subscribed, go do that. I will put the link down in the show notes, but it's jedmanrose.substack.com. The last post that I put up there was about how it is time for everybody to just admit that Trump lost. There is no legal path to victory. It's really at this point looking like the Supreme Court is not going to touch this because there's really no reason for them to. I mean, we're at, I believe now with the Third Circuit decision that came down, and I'll discuss that in a second, I believe we're now at 38 court losses for the Trump legal team, 38 L's. I mean, it's it's time. Hang it up. Call it a night, you fought, you lost. People lose elections. It happens every four years. But nope, we're still going on. And there's still people that seem to think that the way things work is that uh, the Trump legal team is just sitting on a mound of evidence that they're going to just magically spring forth once they make it to the Supreme Court, which that's not how this works. First off, the Supreme Court is going to be extremely reluctant to touch any of this because none of these cases, I mean, first of all, they keep getting dismissed for lack of evidence. So there's your first problem. Second problem is none of these cases are going to affect the outcome of the election the way Bush v. Gore did in 2000. The Supreme Court kind of had to take on that case because we were talking about a very close race with a very small amount of contested votes and whoever won Florida in 2000 was going to be the Electoral College winner. So they kind of had to get involved. None of these cases rise to that level. So I could see the Supreme Court being like, we're not touching this. We're not getting involved in this craziness. We No, 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 no. 
And you can't just bring new evidence into a Supreme Court case. You, you have to have shown that evidence in a lower court case for the Supreme Court to consider it. That's People don't seem to quite understand how the Supreme Court works or how cases get to the Supreme Court or what the purpose of the Supreme Court is, but I believe we're about to find out in the next week or two when the Supreme Court does make their decision as whether or not they're going to take on any of these cases. And then I don't know what people are going to do after that. Oh my god, I whew, I did not think things would be this crazy. I really didn't. Mm. I guess that was my failure of imagination. But moving on to the Wisconsin recount. As I'm sure you guys will remember from last week, uh, the Trump campaign did settle on paying for a recount in two counties in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee County and in Dade County. And so those were completed this week. And the results were that there was a 132 vote gain for Joe Biden. Yes, they paid $3 million and got an extra 132 votes for Joe Biden. See, this is the thing with recounts, people. They couldn't go against you. They could end up biting you in the ass. And I mean, this whole one, this was stupid. You're not going to find, I believe in Wisconsin, the gap is like 60,000 votes. Like you're not going to find that in a recount. You're just not like stop. Just fucking stop. It's over. Stop beating the dead horse. It's done. Don't waste any more money on this. Dear God, people don't donate any more money to this. But that was just rather amusing that after all of that, it actually ended up coming out in Biden's favor. I mean, obviously 132 votes wasn't going to make a difference either way for either candidate. But yeah, it's just indicative of how ridiculous this whole thing has gotten. Just absurd. And so now let's talk about the Third Circuit decision. Now, this case revolved around the one that the Third Circuit just brutally dismissed. And remember last week when I when I was wondering, like, when a judge was finally just going to go nuclear in one of their decisions and just like, destroy the Trump legal team. That's what happened in the Third Circuit. Now, this was involving the case in Pennsylvania where, for reasons I'm still not quite sure of, Rudy Giuliani ended up arguing this case before the court and he made it obvious that he has apparently forgotten how to lawyer. So this is the continuation of that case. So uh, obviously they appealed it up to the Third Circuit, which is federal, and it took them all of about 36 hours to write this dismissal over Thanksgiving because <laughs> there's there's one part of it. It's about 20 pages long. Uh, you can find it online. It's it's easy to read. Like you don't need to have any like specialized law knowledge or anything. But there's one part in it where, and, and this is kind of adding insult to injury. The panel that decided this was a three judge panel all of them conservative judges, and the judge that actually wrote the decision, Belobus, was a Trump, well, not was, is a Trump appointee. So just to really rub it in as to really how done this is, like, you got the most friendly panel of judges you could possibly get, and even they are like, no, 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 no. But... (laughs) 
the the Trump legal team had requested a a speedy turnaround, and so he wrote like, okay. Here's your speedy turnaround. We are not hearing oral arguments. We are not seeing any evidence. We are not doing any of this. Here you go. This is nonsense. Stop it. We are dismissing this. No, we're not even, we're not even going to listen to this. Like this is, it's just, it's really, (laughs) it's a really brutal decision. And he just was like, all of this is nonsense. Like this is bullshit. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. And this is bullshit. And so we're not going to hear it. But, of course, we're still on on to the Supreme Court, which I guess I'm not entirely sure which case they want to bring to the Supreme Court, Um, which that's another question in and of itself. Like, all right, which one of these vehicles are you trying to take to get to the Supreme Court? Because um, none of them seem particularly suitable for getting you there. But, of, of course... <sighs> And, and I know I've talked about this before, but my mistake in all of this was thinking that Trump would have competent legal counsel, and he really doesn't. And like, really, any competent legal counsel would have told you this is going to happen. But here we are. <laughs> and, and I laugh, but it's not funny. It's not funny because there are people who are still just believing in this and thinking that, and, and this is an argument that I've seen made, is that. Well, these people would not go out here and say these things if they didn't have proof. I'm like, yeah, they would. Sure they would. People have been spending the past four years shredding their credibility to defend this man. Like, what What the fuck makes you think people are going to stop now? Like, <laughs> when you got nothing left, you might as well just throw your credibility on the dumpster fire and, I, oh my lord. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see what fresh hell next week brings as far as Trump legal challenges. But I mean, the the avenues are closing. Like, there's really no place left for them to go. And I mean, and once the Supreme Court decides they're not going to hear any of these cases, I, I at that point, you have to accept the reality of your position, which is that you have no legal case. You're not overturning votes. You're not getting votes recounted or thrown out. Or I'm not, I'm not even entirely sure what the hell they're trying to do legally at this point. I'm, I'm so baffled as to what legal purpose any of these lawsuits serve. I mean, I understand their purposes for fundraising. I understand their purposes for drawing this out as long as humanly possible, because apparently not hurting Trump's feelings is the most important thing you could possibly do right now if you're a Republican. I don't understand that either. The man lost. Why are you still kissing his ass? I don't understand. But yeah, I'm not even... I'm not even sure what they want the Supreme Court to do if the Supreme Court does hear one of these cases. Because as I point out in the Substack piece that I wrote, none of these cases, despite what the online narrative is, none of these cases are actually about voter fraud. They're about irregularities. And none of these irregularities, even if the Supreme Court decided to be like, yeah, there's something there. There's nothing there that's going to overturn any of the election results. So I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, let it go. Just let it go. You lost. Stop wasting money. Stop wasting people's time. Just let everybody accept that you lost. It's okay. Well, I mean, it's not okay for them. I mean, this, this, this will go on. For forever. 
And it's ironic that people who made such hay about Hillary not accepting the results of her election and constantly inferring still to this day that Russia somehow hacked and stole the election or interfered somehow or did X, Y, Z, they're going to do the same thing with Trump. I mean, Trump's going to do the same thing. His supporters are going to sit here and insist that the election was stolen somehow, although nobody can explain how it was stolen and nobody can give any evidence. They will still believe this. And I'm sure Donald Trump will also write a book. Maybe he'll even title it What Happened and he'll keep giving interviews claiming that the election was stolen. It's just illegitimizing elections is bad, people. And you shouldn't do that. And if you decried this sort of behavior when Hillary did it, you should decry it when Trump does it too. And he has gone on way, way, way further than Hillary ever did. I mean, people forget Hillary conceded the next day, like the next morning. And that was that. She didn't drag this on for three plus weeks and file over 40 lawsuits to try to dispute the results of the election. Like, this is this has gone way beyond anything she did. So, anyway, yeah. This this will end sooner or later. I mean, I, I mean, we're running up against the roadblock of the Supreme Court, and once they decide what they're going to do, that's pretty much going to be the end of that. I mean, people will still hold on. The grift will still continue. But legally speaking, it's going to come to an end. Because it has to. Because there's not going to be anywhere left to go. But... Before I finish up, I want to talk about a different Supreme Court ruling that came down this past week that involves the 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 attendance caps that de Blasio put on houses of worship in New York City. If you're not entirely aware of this story, um, once New York City started coming off of like complete lockdown and started allowing essential businesses and stuff like that, Um, de Blasio had put a cap on houses of worship that if they were in a red zone, they were limited to 10 people. If they were in an orange zone, they were limited to 25 people in attendance. And this cap was only applied to houses of worship. It was not applied to other essential businesses. So the Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn and Agudath Israel filed suit saying that well, this isn't fair. These are not neutral. You're you're telling us that we have to put caps on houses of worship, but you're not telling Whole Foods that they have to cap how many people they have in there. You're not telling this to Target. You're not telling this to the liquor store. You're not telling this to any other essential business except for houses of worship. And so in a 5-4 decision, with Barrett being the swing vote, because this had actually come before the Supreme Court, back when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was still alive, and the decision went 5-4 in the opposite direction, that it would be okay for a mayor or a governor to impose such restrictions. This time they decided to strike down the restrictions on religious gatherings because mainly, I mean, you have a, you have a 1A issue, although they, they kind of sidestepped the, the 1A issue. And I believe it was in Judge Roberts, Justice Roberts' decision on this that he wrote that because the restrictions are not in place as of this moment that you could kind of sidestep having that conversation. But they did rule that it does interfere on your right to practice your religion and that if the restrictions are not neutral, 
if they are only being applied towards houses of worship, then that's unconstitutional. Which, I mean, it is. I mean, that's, that is what it is. And I think a lot of people are misconstruing what the case was that the diocese in Israel were bringing. They're not asking for special dispensation. They're not asking to be able to operate at full capacity. Their argument was, you are putting caps on houses of worship, but you are not doing it on other essential businesses, and that is not fair. And I I think a lot of people are willfully misconstruing what that argument was, because when you understand what it is, then yeah, that's not fair. It's not fair to tell one segment of essential businesses that you have to have these caps on attendance, but not tell it to any of the others. That's not fair. So, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, The reaction to this, though, has been um, not so great online, um, mainly because of, A, I believe that willful misconstruing of what the the churches what the houses of worship were arguing and also there's been this very nasty undercurrent to the criticisms of this decision and I'll go ahead and preface this by saying I am not a religious person I can probably count on one hand the amount of religious services that are not wedding related that I've been to in my life I don't attend church or synagogue or temple or anything, but I mean, you got to call bullshit on bullshit. And that restriction was bullshit, whether you are religious or not. But there seems to be this sometimes overtly said, sometimes covertly said that houses of worship and worship in general, if you want to extend it out, is somehow not as important as other things in that it's sort of, it's people wanting this are in a way selfish and also in a way kind of like that, that the way people tend to look down on religion now anyways, being just for like declasse rubes who are ignorant and backwards and that's, that's not, that's not okay. Like, like I said, I'm not a religious person, but I understand that faith and attending service is a very important part of a lot of people's lives. And nine months into a pandemic, I understand people who are faithful, who are religious, want to go to service because It's not as simple as saying, well, people can just pray in their own house. People can read their holy books in their own house. Like you're not understanding the purpose of attending service. It's not that you just go there and then like somebody reads a book to you and then you pray and you go home. The point of going to service, the point of sitting for a sermon or, you know, what, however you worship in your particular house of worship is you're going to hear basically like a TED talk of sorts. Like you got your your pastor or your priest or your rabbi or whoever is giving your service. It's not just them reading from the holy book. It's you you sit down as as the the leader of your house of worship and you craft every week a sermon. And you use parts of your holy book 
in your sermon to make whatever point it is that you are trying to make that week. But it's really, it's like going and attending like a, a, a talk. And for a lot of people, that's very important. And there is kind of a mental health aspect to this. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately in that there's a lot of people out there who are struggling. You know, they're not having a very easy time with this and they would like to go to their house of their, their house of worship and hear their service and maybe seek the guidance of their church leader or their spiritual advisor or just to hear an uplifting sermon would make them feel better and more hopeful and people that look down on that i just i think that's kind of shitty like especially this is the time of year where I know a lot of people get like seasonal depression, you get seasonal affect disorder. There's a lot of people who find the holiday season to be a depressing time instead of a, a joyful time. And especially this year when it looks like we're going to have very limited holiday gatherings, if you have holiday gatherings at all. And yeah, and people have been isolated for months at a time and you you want to get out. You want to have something positive and uplifting in your life. And for a lot of people, that is what attending their house of worship is for them. So I'm just, I'm not okay with people kind of like sneering at the idea of people wanting to go to their house of worship. Like it's, it's, it's important to people. It's important to people the way it is important to people to go out in the streets and protest. Okay. For some people going to their house of worship is on that level for them. That's their thing. That's the thing that they think is the most important thing that they need to be doing right now. And it's a little hard to make the argument that it's okay for people to go to a a protest, to go out to a celebration of a Joe Biden electoral win, but that it's not okay for people to want to go to church. That it's not okay for people to want to go to the place where they seek emotional and spiritual solace. Mm -mm. And it doesn't make you, it doesn't make you ignorant or stupid or dumb to want to go to your house of worship. And so I just thought that I wanted to get that rant off my chest because it's just, it's a nasty attitude. It's just, it's looking down on people who want to practice their faith in their house of worship is just, it's wrong. It's nasty. It's just not, not now. Okay, guys, not ever, but especially not now when there are people who are really mentally struggling and they need that. Like, it's not stupid. It's not, it's not like some dumb nothing. Like it, it means something to people. So anyway, that is that. Um, <laughs> Back to the more practical aspects of this. Um, this wasn't in the suit itself, but it's a point that I wanted to make. And that is that putting those arbitrary caps on gathering sizes, and you can also extrapolate this to gathering sizes at houses or any other business, is it's not taking into effect the scale of the building in which you are hosting your event. I mean, you do have some houses of worship that are about the size of a living room. You do have some that are meant to seat 3,000 people at a time. Putting a cap of, say, 
okay, you can only have 25 people in your house of worship if it's meant to hold 2,000 people is a little freaking ridiculous. The same way as telling people like, okay, you can only have 10 people in your house. It's like, well, what if I have a 20,000 square foot house and I have like an acre backyard? Like I I can host more than 10 people in that space safely. (laughs) But of course I don't. I live in a small apartment and 10 people would be on top of each other here. So it would not make any sense for me to have 10 people over here. But it's just these these cats don't take into account the fact that buildings are of different shapes and sizes and some can hold more people than others. And so arbitrary caps are kind of stupid and dumb and make no sense. And while it's not such a big deal in New York City right now because they're not in a place where they have these caps right now, like the caps have been lifted because the situation has improved so much in New York City, although that well, it, it won't change in the future because of what the Supreme Court said, but New York's cases are starting to rise. So, yikes. Um, but yeah, it's it's good and informative for that decision to serve as an example that there is a certain level of check on the amount of power that mayors and governors can wield during a pandemic when you're trying to make these sorts of seemingly arbitrary decisions about who can have how many people where. And when you're, especially like in this case, where you're not doing it in a neutral fashion, you're singling out houses of worship instead of the grocery store. Like, you know, there there, there needs to be some pushback on that. Like you're either going to do it for everybody or do it for nobody. Like you don't get to arbitrarily pick and choose what places you think should have caps on them because you think that there could be a super spreader event there. Like there could be a super spreader event at Whole Foods. I mean, there's people walking around, they're touching stuff, they're touching themselves, and then they're touching items on the shelf. Like you don't know. You don't know what these people have. So, I mean, it's it's no, no different. And of course, obviously houses of worship do care deeply about their, their parishioners, their, 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 their groups. And so, yeah, they're going to take precautions on their own because they don't want they don't want their attendees to die either. <laughs> like they don't want to be super spreader places and so they're going to take their own precautions. And that was their argument is that if everybody else gets to make those decisions for their businesses, why don't we get to make this decision for our houses of worship, which is a perfectly valid argument to make. And it should be made And these decisions should be made based on the capacity of the house of worship in question. Like, if you can safely social distance and host 200 people in your house of worship, then you should be able to do that. Like, it's just, it's, it's good that this case exists. It's good that there is some level of pushback. And of course, you've got people that want to critique this as, oh, look, they're, they're siding with religion over, over public safety. It's like, no, you're not understanding the point of the case. The, the point of the case is, is not siding with religious, religion over public safety. It's establishing a base level of fairness for every essential business to be treated in the same fashion by local and state governments. That's important. It is important to make these distinctions because, like I said, we we may be going into second lockdowns here. And so having something like this on the books serves as an example of how the Supreme Court feels about 
arbitrary caps, which we we may have to have this discussion again here in the near future. So I hopefully not, but cases are rising all over the country and you have states that are already starting to go back down into lockdown mode. So yeah, it's kind of important for this decision to exist. And that's why I wanted to discuss it and highlight it as at least something of a ray of hope in kind of our situation here of not really having any checks and balances on what state and local governments can decide to do. So it's it's a little something. It's something. We'll, we'll start with the houses of worship since they're the ones that brought the case. So hooray for them. Hooray for the Supreme Court. And hopefully, hopefully their lives don't just get completely screwed up over the next couple of weeks with some kind of Trump lawsuit. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. And don't forget to subscribe to my Substack. Take care and until next time.